Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Our Bibles tonight, beloved saints, to the book of Ruth. And tonight, very quickly, I want to speak to you, hallelujah, about the Almighty God who can take the curse and bring it in reverse in our lives. The book of Ruth is a very unusual book. It was written by the prophet Samuel. And there is definitely a prophetic agenda behind the book of Ruth. First of all, in the book of Ruth, we see tremendous deliverance dynamics. How many here need deliverance in your life? Did you know that throughout the book of Ruth, there are deliverance dynamics that can change our lives? If we um, adhere to the secrets that we see in the book of Ruth and see how they are applied to our own lives. Hallelujah, how the curse goes in reverse. Amen. We're going to begin with uh, Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Before we read it, I want to tell you it sounds like a boring piece of Hebrew history, but it is not. It's going to teach us so much. It's going to teach us about biblical success secrets. And did you know, no matter how much loss you may have experienced in your life, no matter what level of disappointment you may have experienced, there is life after loss. Those of you that are here tonight that say, God, how can I ever get my life back? There may be some of you here tonight that say, dear Lord Jesus, I need a miracle. Even those, uh, if we look at Naomi, Naomi was very much up in years and she had gone through such a series of losses. She lost her husband. She lost her son. She lost her second son. She lost her wealth. She lost her position. She lost her prestige. She lost all the money. She lost her power. She lost everything. And who would ever think that an older woman at the end of her life would not only have life after loss, but that God would open such a dynamic destiny for her to give her back. And Naomi is the epitome of how God is a restorer. You see, we serve a God who is a God of restoration after devastation. So when we read the book of Ruth, we see these powerful prophetic principles. Now, beloved saints, the, the focus of the book of Ruth is about Ruth. And let's just look at this just for a moment. The Bible is going to show us in Ruth chapter 1, verse, uh, verses 1 through 3, we are going to see some powerful destiny dynamics and some powerful principles because we're going to see, uh, beloved saints, the character traits God uses and character traits God refuses. How many of you want to come into your destinies and want God to open every door for you? Amen. Let's look at Ruth chapter one, verses one through three. The Bible says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man 
um, the Bible says, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he, his wife, and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and they continued there. Now that just seems like a boring piece of Hebrew history. It doesn't seem like anything very special to us. But I want you to understand, first of all, the context conveys, beloved saints, certain Torah values, certain values in the word of God that are social values. Say it with me, social values. And those social values that we see um, that are going to be displayed here in this in this uh, chapter, and I call it unit number one, the first portion of uh, of Ruth, Ruth chapter one verses one through seven, I call unit number one because it shows us the social responsibility that the Bible places upon the children of Israel to take care of one another. There is a social responsibility. You see, the Bible, we must understand, was written not just so that we know it happened. The incidents that we see in the Bible are also personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant, but they're instructive. So we see that in a hermeneutical sense of scripture and in a, grammat uh, in a grammatical sense of scripture that the author's intent is to show us the the results of the deadly decisions of selfishness. And this is what the Bible wants to show us. So we're going to see, first of all, in the days when the judges ruled. What, what, what does that mean? This means that the theme in the days that the judges ruled is found in Judges chapter 21, verse 25. The Bible says there was no king in the land, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. So that means there's no real form of godliness. It's just going on your emotions, going on how you feel. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. And so that we understand there was no king in the land and every man did what was right in his own eyes. We also need to see, dear people of God, that there is a prophetic agenda. And that prophetic agenda is to show us that um, Elimelech, who was a judge, he was one of the judges that ruled in the land in the time. Elimelech means in Hebrew, let kingship come to me. And so we understand that he was a very wealthy man. He had tremendous wealth. He had tremendous honor. He was a man of great means. How do we know this? Let's look at uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. And notice in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible tells us that uh, um, looking at verse one, and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, um, the Bible says, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So the wealth was in the whole family. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. amen. And then therefore, to know that he was a judge, he was um, he was a judge, not in the sense where you, you and I must understand judges in the times of the book of Judges were deliverers and they were vindicators. So that meant that when the poor had an issue, when they were under oppression, when they were being forced into um, 
um, certain types of, um, of, of laws that would um, oppress them. They would go to the judges for vindication. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. So the judges would vindicate their case. So it wasn't so much a judge that has a clave, um, you know, one of those clavers or whatever you call them to indict them as guilty but they were defenders. They were defenders of the poor and they were defenders of justice. And so therefore, we see that Elimelech knew the law. Elimelech was a judge. Elimelech was very wealthy. El Elimelech knew that it is uh, Israel's responsibility to take care of one another. But in the time of famine, what did Elimelech do? Elimelech went to the world for his comfort. Elimelech left. He abandoned his responsibility toward his neighbor, and he went to Moab. He took his children, and he took his wife. Rather than allowing the wealth that God had entrusted in him to be a blessing for the others in a time of famine, he hoarded his money and went, or his finance. He hoarded his wealth, took it with him out of the land, and went to dwell in the land of Moab. So the Bible is showing us something. Now, we also need to see the names of his sons. The names of his sons, we really don't know, even though they are El Elimelech's sons, Armalon and Kilion, because these names, no mother could name their child those names. Because the name of the first who was Malon means ailing or sickness. And the name of the second is uh, the name of the second is Kilion, which means extinction. So would you name your son Extinction? I don't think you would say, come here, little Extinction, happy birthday. I don't think that you would do that, would you? I don't think you would name your son Sickness. All right, say, little Sickness, today is, uh, you know, is a very special feast day. Let's go up, little Sickness, and celebrate the Lord, the, the Lord we serve. No, these names were prophetic names. There were prophetic names that show us what happens when we are so indulged in ourself and selfishness, what the results of selfishness are. Notice, as soon as Elimelech came into Moab, the Bible says in verse 3, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left of her two sons, and they took them wives of Moab. The name of the first one was Orpah. Now we really don't know if that's her real name because Orpah means back of the neck. Why would someone name their child back of the neck? But you see, it's a prophetic title that the prophet Samuel is giving. And if we actually see why she is called back of the neck, it is because she turned her back on Naomi. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So the Bible is going to show us two kinds of love. The Bible is going to show us love that is sacrificial and love that is superficial. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. Put your hands up right now and say, Lord God, I do not want to miss out in these 49 days of destiny inheritance that you have for me, blessing that you've ordained for me in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Now, watch this. They made, they married women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. Ruth means to see. And the Bible says, and they dwelt there about 10 years. And Malon and Kilion also died. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now, we're going to stop there for a moment because the Bible is showing us not only the results of selfishness, but the Bible is also showing us, dear people of God, the Bible wants uh, us to be able to identify with Naomi's pain. And the Bible wants us to understand Ruth's pain also because she lost her husband as well. The Bible wants us to know, first of all, that it, when you look at Naomi's life, Naomi is going to be raised up in this uh, book of Ruth as someone who's going to be able to get her life back. You see, when you look at Naomi, she's at the end of her life. She's elderly. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. She's lost everything. And there are some of you in this very room that may say, will I ever get my life back? There are some of you that have gone through loss. Going through loss is something that the Bible does not just drive through. I want you to understand when we go through tragedy, we serve a God who is concerned, a God who identifies with our pain, that this is not something that we just shove under the carpet, that some of us are going through very serious issues, issues that feel like we've died or that something has died, whether it's a business or whether it's a dream or something in our life that we feel that we've lost. The book of Ruth is there to teach us that there is life after loss. Can I get a witness somewhere? Somebody ought to say there is life after loss. Hallelujah. And so we need to understand, beloved saints, how there is life after loss. Now, the next thing that we need to see, beloved saints, as we look at this, how do you get your life back? I don't know if there's anybody here that says, I want to get my life back. I want to get back what the enemy has stolen. Or there are others of you that may say, I need to get to my destiny. I want to be in that place that God has ordained for me. I want the highest, best that God has ordained in my life. How many of you tonight want to come out of the place where you are and into the place of your destiny? Can you raise your hand? All right. Now I want you to understand chapter one of Ruth is going to take place uh, at the very time of Passover. And so we cannot, I'm just throwing that in, not because we just had Passover, but so that we can understand the book of Ruth in its fullness takes place during the 49 days of destiny. And we're going to see how a life can turn around in 49 days. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. amen. All right. So first of all, we need to look at the fact that Naomi is going to make a decision. And you know something? She's, in the, she's under the maze of Moab. She's in a land of death. 
She's in a land of tragedy. She has been going through tragedy upon tragedy. There is sorrow. There is grief. There is loss. There is no blessing in the land of Moab. There may be some of us here tonight that we say, I feel like I'm stuck in the maze of Moab. There may be some people here that say for the last few years, I've been going through one loss after another loss. There may be some people here that say, I don't feel that I have arrived at the place that God wants me to arrive to. I've got a word for you tonight. There is a way out and that God is not going to leave you stuck in Moab, but there are certain things that God wants you to do in order to activate the delivering power of God in your own life. Can I get a witness here? Somebody ought to raise their hands and say this with me. Deliverance is a decision. Did you know the very first supernatural step to coming out of Moab is that you have got to realize that one decision can change a destiny. There are some of you right now, you are waiting for somebody to open a door for you. Some of you right now are waiting for your big moment for someone to come and turn your world around. There are others of us that you are saying, God promised me a prophecy and I don't see anything happening. I've been sitting on this thing for six years and I've been waiting for God and he hasn't come through. All right, let me just take a two minute sidebar. I remember years ago when I was just a young girl and I was um, very young in the Lord and I used to attend two churches at the same time. All right, I'd, go, I'd be at Melody Land in the later morning, and in the early morning, I would go to Assemblies of God. And, and you know, Assemblies of God, um, really, sometimes I just make that 5.30 p.m. at Melody Lamp because the Assemblies of God, their services would go a long time. And, and there was a woman there named Sister Luther. And Sister Luther was so awesome. She was a woman of God. She had two beautiful daughters, but there was a problem that she had to put up with her whole life. Her husband was a drunkard. Her husband was an alcoholic, but she was a woman of God and she stood her ground. And do you know that I remember uh, Sister Luther, um, by the way, Brother Luther did come to the Lord and he came to Christ and he had a tremendous miracle. But when he would go on his drinking sprees, one day the Lord told her, take the anointing oil and anoint his shoes. She anointed all of the shoes that he had. And guess what? She forgot to anoint his slippers and he went out drinking in his slippers. <laughs> Hello, that is really the truth. I'm not kidding you. But one day he used to always drop off Sister Luther at the church and he'd just drop her off. He'd just speed out of that parking lot because he didn't want to be around the presence of God. But one day when he dropped her off, the power of God hit him in the parking lot. Hello, somebody. I said the power of God hit him in the parking lot. We're living in the times, I want you to understand, that God is going to supernaturally and suddenly change our families. All right, so there are suddenlies that happen in our lives, and we will see the fruits of our prayers. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. But we also need to understand, dear people of God, that, that the, the 
destiny that God has ordained for your life. Many of us are sitting back waiting for somebody, for God to touch somebody to open that door for us. We're waiting and oftentimes we get our eyes on man. And when man doesn't open the door for us, we can get very upset. We can say, I thought that person was going to put my word in at the company, or I thought that or my name in at the company, or I thought that person was going to give this for me or do that for me. But I've got a word for you. You can be waiting from here till 20, 30, and 40 years. And your word is never going to come to pass, or you're just waiting on, on, on somebody else to make it happen. But what you and I don't realize is that your miracle is inside of you. Many of us didn't realize that there's, that God is waiting on us to make a decision. You see, deliverance comes by a decision. And there are some of us that we just can't make that decision. We don't want to face the humiliation or we don't want to face the confrontation because sometimes when we have to confront somebody or we have to confront something, we don't want the trouble of going through that confrontation. We don't want the trouble of having to deal with the truth. I hope somebody understands what I'm talking about here. So we need to understand if we really want deliverance, deliverance comes with a decision. You have to have a decision in your mind that you are willing to do whatever it takes to get out of Moab. And tonight, if you don't have the kind of faith that Naomi had, if you cannot come to the place that says, if I have to go it alone, I'll go it alone. If I have to leave everything behind, I'm going to leave everything behind. If I have to walk back to Bethlehem, and if I have to face those people that know what my husband did, and if I have to go back to Bethlehem, knowing all the humiliation that he brought to this family and still get back into the will of God, I'm willing to do it because I'm not going to stay stuck in Moab. Somebody has to say today, deliverance is a decision. You see, some of us are waiting for somebody to deliver us. Somebody are waiting. We go from place to place to have people lay hands on us. We go from place to place to have people uh, say something to us or give us a prophetic word. But what this Bible is showing us here in the book of Ruth is that deliverance is a decision. You have to want deliverance so much that if you have to walk by your Yourself, you're going to walk by yourself. You have to want deliverance so much that you're saying to the Lord, no matter what it takes to get me in that place out of Moab, I'm willing to do it. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. Now, I want you to understand, dear people of God, deliverance is a decision. Put your hands up right now because Deliverance is a decision that's going to release destiny into your life. Put your hands up right now and say, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I'm willing to make a decision to leave Moab and to get to the place you want me to go. 
you see, dear people of God, she had to face the deadly decision of her husband's selfishness and go back to the people of Bethlehem. And they're going to say, wow, what happened to your husband? They're going to say, what happened to your two sons? You see, you left us in a time of famine. What happened to your wealth? It's all gone. She's at the state of a pauper now. But you see, Naomi uh, made a decision that she wasn't going to die in Moab, that she'd rather be buried in Israel. She had no idea what God had for her because she arose and made the decision to walk toward destiny. Are you with me? It's, if we look at it, the Bible is showing us the weaker we are. The weaker we are, the less assets we have. The more void of anything of ourselves that we have, the more we have to depend on God is when God comes through and brings that deliverance to us. I hope somebody understands what I'm talking about. And so we see, dear people of God, the Bible says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. You know, the word visit also is spiritually synonymous with revival. Are you hearing this? The word visit is spiritually synonymous with a visitation from God. And I want you to know the second supernatural secret to break the maze of Moab off of your life is you've got to make a decision that you're not getting out of the presence of God no matter what it takes, that you are are willing to walk toward. There is a determination to walk toward God's visitation. Are you hearing this, saints? A determination that you're not going to miss your moment with God's presence. A determination that whether you're received by the people or not, you're going to go there. Whether the people understand you or not, you're going to go there. Whether you're going to feel humiliated or not, you're going to go there. Whether you have any security system in the outside, it doesn't matter who you're going to go with or what you're not going to do. You've already made a decision that you're walking toward the visitation of God. And somebody ought to say, I'm not going to be denied the visitation of God in my life. <laughs> say this with me. I serve a God who's able to turn a mistake into a miracle. Somebody ought to shout the victory. Hallelujah. Say this with me. One decision that's inside of me that God is waiting for me to make can release my destiny. Say this with me. God's waiting for that decision that I have not fully made that I'm determined right now that I'm going to make that decision no matter how far I have to walk no matter how isolated I may feel no matter what humiliation I may have to go through to get there I'm not going to stay in Moab any longer that's not who I am no identity thief is going to take from me my identity who God has called me to be say this with 
me, sorrow cannot take my identity. Say it with me, trials and tribulations cannot take my identity. Somebody ought to say, I'm getting my identity back. I'm getting my life back when I walk toward the visitation of God. When you come near the anointing, when you come around the anointing, you get your life back. Are you with me, saints? Somebody ought to say, I'm getting it all back tonight. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to praise God. Hallelujah. Now we, we, we see that oftentimes we're looking at this and we're seeing wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. You know, have you ever been, uh, have you ever been in a place where you, you, God has to deal with us little by little, doesn't he? To get us out of the place we've been, we've been stuck for so many years, 10 years is a long time to be in the same place. To be, to be emotionally in the same place, spiritually in the same place, for her physically in the same place, to be in that place year in and year out in bondage. And, and now, beloved saints, when you're leaving the Holy Spirit, oftentimes he doesn't put everything on us at once. But if we're willing to make the decision to walk toward destiny, he'll start dealing with us. Yes, Jesus. And in this case, Naomi knew, I can't take this excess weight with me. I can't, there's something here that's not right. Okay, when you're in Moab, the world of pre pretend, you know, we're not so sensitive to the world of pretend because we're pretending ourselves because that's not who we are. We're pretending like everything's perfect. We're pretending like everything's okay and it's not okay. And we allow our identity to be taken from us. And there's somebody in that group that's going back with her that's not supposed to go back with her. That person represents Moab. And sometimes, whether we realize it or not, if we really want deliverance, we can't take anything of what we're being delivered from with us. Any security system or any false securities could mess up our miracle. Are you with me? And this is why on the way, she, she realized, I can't take these girls all right, I cannot take them. They're just heavyweight. I have to make this decision by myself. I'm going back to Israel, and I've got enough to face. I can't take Moabitish women with me back to Israel. And so she says to her daughters-in-law, go. And she she's very, very serious, and she gives them a tremendous, um, a, a tremendous long time of telling them why she cannot go, they cannot go with her. And as you know, Orpah, the Bible says in verse 14, let's just look at that. The Bible says in verse 14, and they lifted up their voice and they wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, 
but Ruth clave unto her. All right, so the real reality is, is that Ruth really is not a Moabitess in her heart. She has had such a conversion to the God of Israel that she's not a Moabitess. Now, I want you to understand something here because Naomi is still trying to send her back. And Naomi says in verse 15, Behold, your sister-in-law is gone back to her people and to her gods. Go return after your sister-in-law. Now, I want you to understand that's why Ruth, that's why Naomi couldn't take her because Naomi knew as soon as my son's gone and he was, she's going to go back to her gods. As soon as she leaves here, she's not really converted. Okay, so why is this even written in the scripture? Does it really matter that this is written in the scripture? Does this really affect our lives now in the year 2023? And the answer to that is yes, because you're going to see the sign of someone who's really converted. Whether we're Christian, we say we love Jesus. We say we follow Jesus. What we're going to see right now is the sign that God looks at to see, are we really born again? Are we really walking with God? Is it, is it just some form of godliness that we have in our life, but denying the power thereof? Or are we really born again from the spirit of God? Are we really washed in the blood of Jesus? This is the sign. The sign is the love by which a ruse is going to cleave to Naomi. And the Bible is going to show us the type of love that she has. The Bible says, and Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or return from following after you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, there I will be buried and the Lord do so to me and more also. If aught but death part thee and me. Now I want you to understand something. What is happening here? Ruth is following Naomi because why? She is taking responsibility for Naomi. She's not just following her. There's nothing she's going to get out of this. That is why earlier, if you read the text, Naomi is telling the girls there's nothing else left. All of our income is gone. Everything we have, our name is gone. Everything you married into is gone. But now we are seeing that there is no motive for Ruth to follow after Naomi, except for the fact that she feels a response responsibility toward her. Are you with me, saints? If you do, say amen. Now, I want you to understand something because the entire book of Ruth is based on the rewards of what is called kindness or love. The rewards of someone who's walking in love. The rewards of individuals who walk in the love of God. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. Okay, so in order to really understand what that looks like, we have to look at the word love in the New Testament. All right, there are four words for love in the New Testament. Two of them are never used, and two of them are. Okay, the first word for love in the New Testament, of course, is agape. 
The second word for love in the New Testament is phileos. The third word for love in the New Testament is stergos, which means family love. And the fourth word for love in the New Testament is never even mentioned at all. And that is, it's called love, but it's not love. And so that's why the Bible doesn't put it. It's just completely selfish. It's very, it's just based on sensuality. It's not based on any commitment. It's not based on any type of, of sacrifice. It's not based on any real affection in the sense of the type of affection that God commands us to love one another with. It, it's void. So it's not even used in the New Testament. It's like banned. Hello, somebody. I said it's banned from the New Testament. Can I get a witness somewhere? I said it's banned from the New Testament. All right. So let us talk about the two types of love that we see in the New Testament. Everyone is very familiar with agape love, which is selfless love. It is the type of love that I'm going to love you, even if you don't love me. And if I get nothing out of it, my my joy is just to give to you and to love you. How do we know what that looks like? First Corinthians, let's look at it. First Corinthians chapter 13. We're not going to spend a lot of time on agape because the church has heard about agape. But what the church doesn't know about is phileos. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight because I think some of us tonight need a revival in our hearts because once we realize if we get both agape and phileos operating in our life, there is no good thing that God is going to withhold from us. When we get agape and phileos into our lives, every door of destiny is going to open up in our lives. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right. Looking here at what the Bible is telling us in verse 1. The Bible says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and if I have not, this word charity actually translates to agape. So it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and if I have not agape, I have become like a loud gong and a clinging cymbal. So that means that we're making a lot of noise, but there's no power. Hello, somebody. I said, without agape, we're making a lot of noise, but there's no power. Following on. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and knowledge, uh, though I, I have faith that I can move mountains, if I do not have agape, I am nothing. Are you hearing this, saints? And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned, if I have not agape, it profits me nothing. So that means it is possible to prophesy without agape. That means it is possible to have knowledge without agape. That means it is possible for you to give your body to be burned and not have agape. Look at what happens in the suicide bombers. They give their bodies um, and they give it up, but there's no agape there. Are you with me? If you, if you are, say amen. Agape suffers long and it is kind and, and it envies not. So there are certain, there are certain behaviors that stupefy agape, that make agape non-active in a life, that shut the power of agape down 
I don't know about you, but I don't want the power of agape to be shut down in my life. I want everything that it is from God because God is love. And he that dwelleth in God dwelleth in love. I hope somebody understands. So that means if I really want to have a revelation and I really, I, I, there, there are people that have a revelation from God, but when they're getting the revelation, there's no fellowship with that revelation. They don't feel the power of God. They don't feel God's love. They don't feel the Christ emanating his presence to that individual when he's given them that revelation. It's all up here, but I don't know about you. I want to fellowship with Jesus. I want to sup with him when he's going to give me a word. I want to drink in his presence because his presence heals. His presence delivers. His presence sets free. His presence transforms. Can I get a witness somewhere. Do you understand what we're talking about tonight? So what are the things that are going to, you know, um, what are the things that are going to make you think you're walking in love? But it's all a facade. Have you ever, have you ever been around somebody and let's just say it's auntie we'll just give her a name auntie sharon auntie sharon comes over and you know auntie sharon is there because she's worn the same kind of perfume for 30 years and you can tell auntie sharon she's all she's all sprayed up all right and even if auntie sharon's not there if she leaves the room and the fragrance is there say, hey, was Auntie Sharon here? And they say, yeah, she was here about an hour ago. Okay. Some Christians, agape has gone. I said agape left. But it's just like the fragrance there. It's just like the, 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 the outward, you think that it's still there. You think it's still operating in your life. You think you're still walking in love. You think it's still there, but it left. Hello, somebody. I said, it's just a little cloud that's left there, but it's you're not carrying it. You're not operating in it. Do you understand what I'm talking about today? The, here's the things that quench agape's power. Number one, the Bible says, charity envieth not. So you know what that means? No entitlement. Do you know how many Christians believe that they're entitled to things they're really not entitled to? The spirit of entitlement says, you know what? I've been doing this a long time and I'm entitled to it. Or I've been doing this for so many years and why did she get a raise when I'm entitled to the raise? Notice what happens. That spirit of entitlement will make us feel like we should have got the raise or that that belongs to us. And in reality, we are coveting what that person got. Hello, somebody. I said, we're coveting what that person got. Under the guise, it's not fair. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. So what's going to cut agape in my life? The spirit of entitlement. All right, what else is going to cut off agape in my life? 
Envy, that means I'm looking at somebody spiritually and wanting what they have, and it's not, it's not with a godly thing. Lord, I want that too. It's like, I deserve it. All right. Um, also, we see what else cuts off agape. The Bible says agape is not puffed up. So that means the first way to stop the power of agape operating in my life is to have a high thought, a haughty attitude, or think I'm better than somebody else, or be puffed up over something that happened in my life because God just blessed me so much. Hello, somebody. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. All right. It does not behave itself unseemingly. It does not seek its own way. It's not easily provoked, and it thinketh no evil. So that means that one of the ways we can cut off the anointing of agape from our life, and if we cut off agape, we're no longer abiding in Christ. Yes, Jesus is in my heart, but I'm not abiding in him. I don't know about you, but I want to abide in Christ because Jesus said, whoever abides in me, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask what you will, and it shall be done by my Father which is in heaven. So our response, responsibility as Christians should be to stay abiding night and day in his presence. Are you with me, saints? Do you understand what God is saying here? It's not easily provoked. Okay, that's when we ought to tell the whole church. Because I, I know a lot of Christians that you better be sure you're walk, you know how to walk on eggs. If you don't know how to walk on eggs, you can't go around them because they're going to get offended over anything you say, anything you do. Uh, you can look at them crooked. You can just say, wow, I didn't have my glasses on. Please forgive me. I didn't know that was you. You know, anything that it was, they're going to get offended. Hello, somebody, but you ought to turn to somebody and say, I'm not going to let offense take agape out of my life. I'm not going to let a critical eye take agape out of my life. I'm not going to let thinking evil about somebody, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to envy what somebody else has and have a spirit of entitlement, believing I deserve it and not them. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness? It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. That means uh, you got to go through. Mm. You know, let me just tell you a little story. I'll tell you a little story about one of the girls in our ministry. She's not here, so I can use her as an example, a beautiful example. Uh, we, we got to Kisumu, Kenya. The year was 2016. She was with us, and we, we had flown all, we came from a service, we'd flown, I don't know, all night, all day to get to Kenya. We get to Kenya, and the airport tells us the flight we're supposed to take got delayed. And so we have to wait in this broken down coffee shop for about eight hours, because all the flights got delayed. And so we waited about eight hours. Then when we realized uh, we have to wait eight hours, 
we also had some problems with customs there because we had all this medical stuff that we were with. And what we were told wasn't exactly what happened, but thanks God we had that eight-hour time. We got everything right and finally got on the plane to go to Kisumu, which was about a two-hour flight. We get to Kisumu, and the vehicle that picks us up is a little too small. And so after being up all time on the airplane, all that time in the airport, all that time in customs, this little princess, there's not enough room. There's just the, the, the seat here in the front, then there's this little console area thing here, and then there's another seat, and then the seat's in the back. And she says, well, I'll just sit, because the laws in Africa is anything goes. Okay, so you can, I'm just gonna sit here on this count, on this little council thing, you know, the console thing. I'm gonna sit there. Her back, the driver's here. She's got her back to the console. She's facing us and balancing herself for the bumpity, I think, four or five hour ride to key out of Kisumu to the village we were going to. She didn't complain once. Not one complaint. She was glad to do it for the Lord. I said she was glad to do it for the Lord. You see, love endures all things. Are you with me? So that means if I'm going through a trial, I'm going through fire, that means that the way I'm going to get through it is walk in love. Are you with me? Bible says charity never fails. We know all these things. Um, the Bible says that um, all of of whether they be tongues are going to cease, whether they be um, the Bible, the knowledge, it's going to pass away, but we know in part, prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that which is imperfect uh, is passing away. All right, we know all these things about agape, but what about phileos? All right, I want you to see in John's gospel, go with me to John chapter 11, and look at John chapter 11 and look at verse 3. I want you to see it very quickly. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11, looking at verse 3, the way Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Notice in verse 3, Martha and Mary are sending a letter to Jesus through a messenger saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. That word is not agape. That word is is the base of that word is phileos. The one that you love is sick. Go with me to verse 36 and look in John 11, verse 36. John 11, verse 36 says, then the Jews said, this is speaking of Jesus, behold how he loved him. Phileos, not agape. Okay, let's go over to John chapter 21. And let's look at verse 15. John 21, verse 15. John 21, verse 15 is Jesus on the shores of the area of Galilee where he's going to meet Peter after they'd been all night in the boat 
fishing again. This is after the resurrection. And they come to the shores and they realize the stranger on the shore is Jesus. And the Bible says, looking at John chapter 21, looking at verse 15 through 17. And we're seeing in verse 15, if we can move to this text, uh, to verse 15, we're in John 21, but let's go to verse 15. The Bible says, so when they had dined, Jesus, remember, he said, come and dine. He's fixing the fish, he's fixing the bread, and it's Jesus. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Okay, the word that is used here is not agape. He is asking Simon Peter, do you love me with phileos love? And he says, Lord, you know that I love you with phileos love. Okay, again, he says, feed my lambs. All throughout here, when he says it a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? It's with phileos love. So the question arises, how do you love somebody with phileos love? How many of you want to know what phileos love is? Because Jesus said to his disciples, Hallelujah. Love one another as I have loved you. And the word that is used is phileos love. He is commanding us not only to love with agape, but he is commanding us to love with phileos. And most of the church does not love with phileos love. Are you with me? And so if we really want to see the gifts of the spirit operating and we really want to see revival and we really want to come out of Moab and we really want deliverance, we need to pray for an outpouring of phileos love in the church. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Go with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to show you some attributes of phileos. Hallelujah, so we can walk in phileos, so that we can walk in love. Hallelujah. Um, we're looking, beloved saints, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're looking at the Word of God. Notice, I'm going to begin with verse 6. Nor of men, verse 6 doesn't teach us about Phileos, but verse 7 begins it, but I'm using verse 6 as context. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, that we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse that cherisheth her children, being so affectionately desirous of you, the Bible says that we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel only, but our own souls. For you remember our travail 
Uh, you remember, brethren, our labor, our travail, laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable to any of you when we preach the gospel of God. You are witnesses also how holyly and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among them that believe. Now, beloved saints, let me go through some of these uh, words that is spoken to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. These are attributes of phileos. First of all, if you notice, if we want to know what does phileos actually mean, here are some of the interpretations in the Greek language of what brotherly love phileos is. Number one, phileos involves that you are fond of that person. So that means that I don't just love you, I'm fond of you. That means you are very precious to me. That means that you are endeared to me. How many of us have one another really endeared to one another? How many of us are consciously aware? Have I been aware today of brethren and sisters that I come in contact with that they are endeared to my heart. Don't we kind of just do the opposite? The opposite is I'm only going to be with people who are like me. I'm only going to be with people who think like I think, people who look like I look, people who fellowship, and people who say what I like them to say. That in, is a carnal view of the love of God. It's completely contrary to Scripture. So Scripture is telling us that phileos, if you will, has tremendous amount of emotion in it. Are you with me? There are various types of emotions that have to be fanned with the flame of God's love in order to operate in phileos. And Jesus commanded us to love one another with phileos love. Are you with me? All right, let's look at this a little further. All right. Number one, we have to be fond of one another. Number two, we have to desire one another. Desire, not in a sensual sense, in a soul sense. I miss you. I love you. You are so dear to me. Because once that operates, then the gifts of the Spirit start operating. Once that operates, oh, you're so dear to me. I love you so much. Oh, my goodness, you're going through that. You're going in the hospital. Oh, gosh. Oh, and then all of a sudden, emotions come that are no longer emotions. These thoughts that are coming into your mind are revelations on how to pray. These things that are happening is you start getting word of knowledge. Oh, my goodness, Lord, I pray for this person's foot. Oh, Jesus, I'm getting word of knowledge. I'm praying for this ch person's child. Why am I praying for their child today? It isn't just because you're a prophet. It is because you are walking in love, and this should be the lifestyle of every believer. God wants us to already walk in so much love that you don't need to be a prophet to know what somebody's going through. Can I get a witness somewhere? Yes. Are you hearing this? All right. The Bible says here, um, if we look at this word phileos, it means to desire. It means to approve. How many Christians do we really approve of? 
Or do we immediately disapprove of everybody? We disapprove of this person because of the way they wear their hair. We disapprove of that person because of the way they talk. We disapprove of that person because we don't like what they wear. We disapprove of this person because they're not looking like us. They don't sound like us. They're different than us. But phileos means that we have an anointing. We have a love about us that we approve. Even if there's somebody that's a sinner, you don't need to approve of their sin, but they must feel accepted around you. They must feel that love and not condemnation. Are you with me, saints? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Phileos. Phileos also is a disposition of kindness. So that means automatically disposition of kindness. Disposition of, can I get this for you? Do you need this? Uh, let me do this for you. Let me do that for you. Disposition of kindness. You automatically just have this disposition of loving that person. Phileos involves ardent, fiery love. That's why the Bible says, be kindly affectioned one to another, because phileos involves affection. So that means somebody that I love, I'm not going to gossip about. I love them. They're my precious. Okay, they have a few faults. Why are we putting on one another so much hardship that they have to be perfect, that if we don't, if we walk wrong, if we stumble, if we, if we uh, hurt our finger or we do something that's just not perfect, then they just come out of our eyes and we don't have any more respect for them. I don't know if you understand what I'm speaking about. Am I speaking to anybody in this church that doesn't have a hardened heart? Am I speaking to anybody in this church that wants to persevere in love? We just shut down because we don't want to hear it. We just want to hear what we feel good about. But I've got a word for you. Jesus is coming back, and he's not going to judge you on how good you felt in the service. He's going to judge you on how much agape and phileos you operate in. Are you with me, saints? Hallelujah. Go with me in closing tonight to John's gospel. And go with me to John chapter 15. And John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Do you know what that means? The word continue in the Greek is the word proskaterio. And proskaterio is a word that's used for the 120 when they continued. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and they all continued. And the Bible says in one accord... The Bible tells us when they prayed in Pentecost, 
Continued proskaterio means to pray or to do a task until you reach the goal of it, till it is full. When Jesus said, continue in my love, he's not just saying, just, uh, you know, think about it, just continue, and I hope that after 50 years, you've continued loving me. That is not what that means. It means that my focus should be how to love. How am I going to love my neighbor as myself? My focus should be agape and phileos. Are you with me? Continue. That every day of my life, I want to be taught from the word of God on how to walk in agape and how to walk in phileos. Why are you sharing this, Dr. Corral? Because Ruth is the epitome of walking in phileos and agape. You see, Ruth was under a curse, whether you realize it or not. Let me read to you some of the curses that Ruth was under because she was under heavy curse. All right, beloved saints. Um, The Bible says no Moabite or Ammonite can enter. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3 says no Moabite, no Ammonite or Moabite can enter the congregation of the children of Israel to the 10th generation even forever. So she's banned literally from the congregation of Israel. But guess what? The curse is going to go in reverse because of the love she's walking in. I hope somebody hears what I'm saying. Because love causes us to walk in the power that will reverse the curse. Notice what else she had to face. She's a daughter of Lot. Do you realize that Lot represents strife? Do you know why Lot left Abraham? Lot left Abraham. He fell out before he was finished because of strife. The Bible says there was a strife between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. So uh, the tendency in her bloodline is one of strife. So not only is she under a curse, but now we have also that there's a tendency of strife. So she's, she's already got this in her bloodline that is her tendency. Number two, there's terrible, um, terrible disordered types of behavior in her bloodline because Moab is a word that means something that's very despicable. And it has to do with an illicit relationship that's a bondage in the bloodline of the Moabites. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. And the Bible says, hallelujah, that in Numbers chapter 22, the king of Moab and the elders of Midian hired Balaam to curse Israel. So now you've got witchcraft in the bloodline. You've got Canaanite curses in the bloodline. And you also have, hallelujah, witchcraft in the bloodline because the Moabites hired Balaam to curse Israel. You also have stinginess in the bloodline that hates Israel because why? 
When the Moabites, this is why they were banned from Israel in the first place. Because when the children of Israel, and the Bible tells us in uh, Numbers chapter 21, when they wanted passage to go into the promised land, they were willing to pay the Moabites for their bread and for their water, but instead they attacked them. So I want you to see revenge and strife and bitterness and witchcraft and all kinds of curses that they're bound. Hallelujah. Do you understand what I'm talking about? They have the worst form of idolatry in their bloodline. They would sacrifice their babies to Chemosh. Are you with me? They were the worst forms of idolatry and the worst forms of human sacrifice. Are you with me? And the Bible tells us in Numbers 25 that the daughters of Moab were with the daughters of Midian. And the Bible says that there's very immoral behavior among these women. Hello, somebody. I'm talking about these Moabitish women. There are, and, and the whole tribe of Moab was cursed. Are you hearing this? But the curse went into reverse through Ruth, the sign of her conversion wasn't that she knew the Torah. The sign of her conversion was that she was walking in love. She took Naomi as her responsibility. As we begin these 49 days of destiny, that God wants to break some stuff off of our life. God wants to turn our destinies around. God wants to bring us into a place where the curse goes in reverse. Not only was Ruth filled with love, but also Naomi was also filled with love. You can't be around love and not respond to love. You see, the Bible tells us in Ruth chapter 4, verse 15, that the women of Bethlehem, when they saw Naomi, they said, uh, they said to Naomi, um, the, the God that you serve is a restorer of your life and a nourisher of your old age. I want you to understand restorer of your life in Hebrew means a reverser. He reversed everything for Naomi and he reversed everything for Ruth. Ruth became a landowner of all the, the, um, the holdings in Bethlehem. She married Boaz. I want you to understand she became the mother of the Davidic dynasty. The curse went into reverse. Some of you got your eyebrows raised, but it's time for your eyebrows not to be raised anymore. It's time for you to say, God, I want to walk in love. I want to walk in forgiveness. I want to study how to love. I want to make it a point every day to love my neighbor as myself. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button. 
or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.